Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in the study that we're doing in, in uh, the, the New Testament, uh, ultimately, but uh, right now we're in the book of Matthew, uh, we're entering into the 27th chapter. Um, next week, we'll finish the book of Matthew, and then we'll, we'll move right along into Mark uh, that's coming up. And the, um, we're into now the, the, the sort of the critical time period. Um, uh, Jesus has uh, really been going through it, and now he's, he's going to endure the cross uh, today. And at the end of the chapter, uh, Jesus is, uh, dies and is buried. Um, fortunately, we know that's not the end of the story, but uh, I think about uh, when I read this, not only all that Jesus went through, and, and most of you um, probably, if, if you ever saw the movie The Passion, uh, you have like graphic images of things that you process um, as you read this stuff. Um, but I think about what it must have been like to be the disciples and how confused they must have been as this chapter comes to an end and Jesus is dead and in the tomb and I, you know, the things that he said, I just, they don't have it yet. They haven't figured it out. And what it must have been like from, from the time that they put him in that tomb until Sunday. Uh, I can't even imagine. And I, I really try and think about that as I, as I wrestle through this part of the scripture and, and all the events that happen. Uh, I, I like to, uh, I don't like to, but I also um, come to grips with the fact that what Jesus is about to endure, what we're about to read about, um, he does because of my sin. And I always make sure that I read that into it, that it's not just a story and he's dying in general for sin. My sin is making him do that. My sin is why he's getting beaten. My sin is why he's being ridiculed and mocked. It's my sin. And um, as I do again, it reminds me of <laughs> the amazing love that, that he has for us, uh, that he has for me, and, and that he would endure what he endured for me. Uh, as he would do for you, and so um, you know, think about that when you when you're reading through this process, and uh, have those uh, sort of ideas, and, and I think it changes the dynamic. Now, um, there's a lot of verses in this one too, but uh, I do want to um, just quickly review where we're at, and that as we've been reading in context, you've seen everything really has been building to this period of time, from the beginning, uh, from his birth, um, and and uh, from the beginning of his ministry uh, and how he came in to set things right uh, and he sort of untaught uh, what the Pharisees had been teaching uh, with, you know, with that, that statement that I told you over and over again, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. And we talked about the Pharisees and how they just didn't like what Jesus was doing and they, they were threatened and, and they had numerous opportunities to repent and to come and be included in the kingdom which Jesus was presenting to them. And they could have at any time, and yet they chose to pursue a different course, and they've, they've, they've uh, fought him, and they've tracked him down, and now uh, finally we left it at the end of the last chapter where they've, they've taken him into an illegal uh, council and trial and, and decided that he needs to die, and they, they've got him now. Um, now they have a problem as we start chapter 27, 
that you need to know about. And the problem is that um, they are um, under uh, Rome at this point uh, in their history. The Romans had a way of governing where they were supremely in charge of everything and collected taxes, but they actually had a pretty um, interesting way of occupying everyone else was that they allowed them a lot of self-government. And so they, they didn't take it into that level, but they maintained uh, sort of the, the higher levels of government, but they allowed quite a bit of self-government. And that's why you had uh, you know, Herod as king and you had the, the, the priests and the, and the ruling positions. They were in of, of great authority, but still with limits. And one of the limits was that they couldn't execute anybody. Uh, they didn't have that authority. Only Rome did. And so what has to happen is now is that they have to get Jesus to the governor of Rome, who's Pilate. And, and they've got to get Pilate to ultimately go ahead and sign off on what they want. And uh, it's, it's all part of the struggle that unfolds in chapter 27. So let me go ahead and read that to you. Um, uh, verse 1 and following. Uh, it's in your notes. It's p- pretty small still. Um, I can't read it in there. Um, I can barely read it here on the big giant page. And um, there's Pew Bibles. There's... Uh, or, or you can just listen to me read, all right? Matthew chapter 27, verse 1 and following. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Jesus, Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned he was seized with regret, remorse, pardon me, and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this money into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate answered. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water 
and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. And they spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus the king of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing this heard this, they, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. And the rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Jesus took the body, or Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, 
the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he'd been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Um, pretty heavy events. Uh, and it's, it's hard to read it without, uh, I think it is, without the realization of everything that I was saying. Uh, how amazing it is that, that Jesus went to the cross for us. And that everything that was happening then, all those things that he endures, he's doing for us and, and for our sin. And as they ridicule and mock him, saying, come down from there, you know at any time he could have, right? I mean, do you get that? Uh, he could have, any time. But this had to happen. And we'll read some verses about why it had to happen. But for us to have relationship again with God, this was what needed to take place. Jesus had to come. And make it right. There was no other way. And that's what he does there on the cross. Now, uh, as we read, there's some things that I just want to kind of highlight and, and, uh, and go over uh, together. Uh, as it starts out in Matthew 27, the first couple of verses, uh, I already said this, the, the Jewish leaders have a problem um, in that they can't carry out execution. Uh, Palestine is under Rome at this time. And so Jesus goes to Pilate. And then uh, in verses 3 to 10, we see this whole thing with Judas uh, he, he's really only in it for a couple of verses. Um, and it's pretty abrupt. He, he, he realizes what he's done. And, and uh, I can't make excuses for Judas. Uh, you know, it, he did what he did. And who knows if, he was, if it was the money which he ends up getting rid of or if he thought that um, this would push Jesus into doing something that he wanted him to do or something. Who knows why he did what he did. But... He does. He's filled with remorse, it says. And then he, and then he hangs himself. He, he can't deal with it. Um, before he does that, though, he takes the money and he throws it back into the temple. Now, verse 6, uh, to me, is one of the most ironic verses in Scripture because it screams of the legalism of the Pharisees in ways that just amaze me um, beyond no end. And it, and it talks, and you think about, you know, legalism is always the letter of the law and missing the spirit of what was behind it. And in, in verse 6, it says, The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. How about <laughs> it's against the law to have a, a trial of an innocent man and bring liars in there and pay for the whole thing and do it under the cover of darkness because you're tired of him. Oh, well, that's no big deal. But we can't take the money back and put it in the treasury now. Do you get the, the hypocrisy? I mean, do you, can you... And yet, it's one of those things we have to guard against. That hypocrisy is always... But we get blind to it. See, to them, it's probably just... See, oh, yeah, we can't take that money. It's blood money. We have to go do something else with it. And they end up, they go and buy a potter's field so there's somewhere to bury the foreigners. They're doing a good thing. A good religious work. 
but can you imagine in the in in the in the day of of paying off this whole deal and all of a sudden making a stand on on the money coming back to to me see it just it's just it's mind blowing to and yet hypocrisy is always like that and unfortunately when we're the hypocrites we can't see it and and so we have to be very careful Uh, and we've talked about that throughout the book we we have to be real careful with how that stuff lays on us and and uh, um, how much we need to to be aware of how quickly you can go from from doing a, a noble thing to something that's completely different which is what happened to the pharisees literally in a 200 year period Remember, I told you they started out well. The group founded on a good purpose to hold true the the Hebrew culture in the face of the Greek Hellenization of everything changing, and they came together to hold it in in place. And it started well, but to hold it in place, they began to legislate law after law after law after law, less relationship more legalism. Less with God, more you do it this way. And then their position and their power grows and grows and grows. And those who had initially started out to protect the kingdom of God became those who made it so people couldn't get to it. And when the king came and said, come, it's time now, they rejected it. And they missed every story, every parable, every, every fulfilled prophecy. They just chose not to see any of it. Because they were settled in that they were going to do it the way they were going to do it, and and we have to be very careful of it. And so they they uh, through verse ten, then they purchased the cemetery for foreigners in fulfillment of prophecy. And then uh, in verses eleven through fourteen, um, Jesus stands before Pilate and he refuses to speak, other than uh, admitting that he was indeed the King of the Jews, which was not a crime; it was the truth. But he refused to defend himself against the other accusations, the false accusations. Just never said a thing. Which put Pilate in a very bad spot. And Pilate didn't want to be in this spot. And, um, and then I, I get a chuckle out of it because Pilate's wife sends a note. <laughs> Which probably didn't help anything at the time. Saying, yeah, honey, by the way, I've had a bad dream about this guy. He's innocent. Don't have anything to do with him, okay? Now, here's the problem. Pilate, I've got to be careful I say this. I'll say it anyway, without, without being judgmental. Pilate's a politician, and he acts like one, some of them. See, I don't, see sometimes it just sounds like making a sweeping judgment against politicians. Don't hear it that way. Um, but he's doing what, what you might call here typical politics, in that the crowd is going to push him to do something that he doesn't want to do, and he's going to even try and make it like it really, well, it really isn't my fault. It's your fault. I'm just kind of doing what you want. But he was the governor. He could have done whatever he wanted. Do you get it? He had absolute power at that moment. He could have stepped into this. But he bends to the will of the people. And whether he was, uh, you know, worried about his own position or whatever it was, uh, I'm not sure. But he, he tries to sort of say, so he's trying to find that spot where he's appeasing the people and yet at the same time it's like he, it's not really his deal. Do you, do you get that that's like the height of, of politics? Again, without judging politicians. 
<laughs> so he politics the situation. And um, he, he basically gives in to the crowd but says, it's, it's on you. And they take responsibility. Okay, his blood will be on us and our children. Thanks for, for you know. <laughs> Thanks for that, mom, dad. Um, he, he, and so he, he's like stepping out of it in a very political way. And, um, and he has Jesus flogged and then turns him over to be crucified. He's mocked in, in verses 27 through 50, the whole process. We don't need to review it. It's pretty, it's pretty explanatory. Verses 51 through 56, though, fascinating. Um, The moment that Jesus dies, the temple curtain, which cut off access to the Holy of Holies, is torn. And um, see, part of that is now we have access through Christ. And what was once denied to us by a veil uh, is now opened. And we have access into the very throne room of God through Christ. And and we're no longer separated because we can come in Christ now. And where once our, our sin kept us from God because he's perfect and we're not, that's now been opened up in Christ. And we have, we have access and communion with God because of what took place. It's, sim, it's symbol, symbolic of what Jesus did by his death there on the cross. And then, you know, some people skip over this, but it says there there was a lot of these people who were dead who raised to life. Right at the point of that happening. Do you, did you see me read that? Um, that's pretty fascinating, right? That would get your attention, don't you think? <laughs> like, <laughs> However, you know the feasts that we talk about all the time? Seven of them, right? Those first three happen in, in this three-day period. Passover, uh, unleavened bread, early first fruits. Pentecost is called first fruits, this early first fruits. And what it is, it's the, the celebration of the very, very first tiny harvest. And, and there's, there's three harvests. There's this very, very little tiny harvest of one crop. And then 50 days later, there's the beginning of another harvest. That's Pentecost. And then at the end of the summer is the big main harvest. And prophetically, Jesus came and fulfilled Passover perfectly, unleavened bread perfectly, and early first fruits. Perfectly, and along with Jesus came this little group of people as a picture and a representation of that first harvest of what was going to happen. Pentecost, the picture is as the church is gathered and formed and 3,000 come in, and now we're raiding until trumpets, which is the ending sound of the final harvest. And we know that Jesus comes back with trumpet sound, and the, prophetically the, the fulfillment is that two will be in the field and one will go and one won't. And the, the, the picture is even now of, of uh, when, when the Jews would be in, they'd be working up until the trumpet sounded to, that it was time to go and worship. And then all those who, know, who knew God would, would leave what they were doing right at that moment because they were being called to the feast and they would leave. And other people who didn't know God, would, they didn't know what the trumpet was. They just keep doing what they were doing. And that's the one that we're waiting on. We're in the big harvest and we're a part of the big harvest. We're the workers in the harvest. And so um, that's uh, the, the first three fulfilled there in the process. Um, Jesus is buried, verses 57 through 66. A guard is posted at the tomb because they remember him saying, he said he was going to raise again. We've got to be careful that nobody comes and steals his body away and then keeps it going. And that's where the chapter ends. Now, a lot of people have said that uh, 
that's what they think has happened, is that somehow, you know, they went in and took Jesus' body and they've, they've kept this thing going all this time. And, and uh, another, uh, another theory is that Jesus didn't really die. Uh, it's called the swoon theory. And that uh, he, he didn't really die. And then he just sort of came to a couple of days later. And, uh, and, and then he went and hid out, you know. Um, and, and people buy into this stuff. And they believe it. Well, how come? But here's, here's, here's what I know. The disciples flee, right? They're afraid. And they've run. They've taken off. And, and something happens to the disciples that causes them to come out of hiding eventually and go out and preach the gospel with boldness in the very same place where Jesus was crucified in a very short period of time. And I'm telling you that short of Jesus' resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit as he ascends into heaven, that would have never happened. And if you ever get those things, well, what if, what if? And, and ultimately, all those guys give their lives in all sorts of ways to serve Christ. And the question becomes, who would die for a lie like that? And there, there was no reason. They saw along with many others, the risen Lord. And for them it was enough to spend the rest of their lives following after Him. Knowing at that point, and finally figuring out what He'd said, and then going, okay, now we get it. And then from that moment on, looking for His return. Because they, they thought, remember, they just thought, well, we'll get it next week. They thought He was coming right back. And He's been gone for a little while. But he's coming right back. And that's the tension we live in. But we'll have to pick it up next week. Let me just read you a couple of verses about why. Then we'll close. Hebrews 9.22 In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 10.12.14 The priest, Christ, offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. Because by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. He's made us perfect while we're in the process of being made holy. That's good news. Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Romans 5, 8, and 9, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us since we have now been justified by his blood. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? There's verse after verse after verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus willingly went to the cross, gave His life, shed His blood to set us free. And praise God, the story didn't end there. And next week, resurrection time. All right, so that's where we're at. We'll shut it down there. Um, If you're watching by video, um, who's ever at the group will pray for you or call us or email us and we'd be happy to pray for you. But we're going to end up here. Why don't you pass me a prayer request and I will pray for you before we go.